Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. Is there a difference between a slip and a relapse? And does it matter? And should he tell his wife if he does slip or relapse? Today, I want to get into the details of all of this and give you guys some considerations for how to work through this, what to do, how to process this, what to share. And I hope that what we talk about today will give you some direction to not only be aware of it, but actually be able to stop this, create change, and build the safety that you're hoping for in your relationship. I first want to thank everybody who's leaving reviews and and feedback and ratings. It truly does mean a lot. So thank you for those of you who are taking just a minute or so and dropping a quick line, clicking the button on your thumb with whatever star you feel like is appropriate. It's just a very helpful way to get the word out about the podcast because I know so many people are struggling. And so finding resources that are meaningful and helpful, it just goes such a long way for people who are all in this journey with you guys. So thank you for those of you who are leaving comments and and feedbacks and, and feedback and review on apples and on iTunes. It, it really does mean a lot. So I, I just wanted to say thank you and I appreciate it. So today I wanted to get into this here. There's a difference between a slip and a relapse. And I want to share with you why this is relevant or why this came to mind as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today. In terms of the difference between these two things, I think they're both the same, just on this, they're on the same continuum or on the same spectrum, but they're just further along. A, a relapse is further along the continuum or spectrum than a slip is. And so for people who are considering what this means, so a slip is something that's shorter in duration. It's like, I don't know, putting your foot back in the pool that you don't want to be in. So for instance, somebody might be stressed or lonely or just be alone and then they get triggered and then they start to search something and they pull it up, they're searching, they catch themselves and then they think to themselves, I don't want to be doing this and they click out and then they're done. So that's more of like a slip. A relapse is when somebody's basically jumping back into the pool where none of the tools are applied. It's longer in duration a man would seek it out and they would stay in this pattern and they would watch pornography. They wouldn't catch themselves. They wouldn't exit. They'd stay in the cycle and allow themselves to indulge. And sometimes this can last for days or weeks. They just continue to go back into it and they aren't interrupting that pattern, getting back on track. And they're just staying stuck in that cycle there. That's that's more of, it's further down the spectrum. So I would consider something like that a relapse. And there's everywhere in between. And so I don't, the purpose of this episode isn't to really categorize every action and wh- what category does it fall under, as much as letting you know that there's a spectrum to this. But is does it matter? Does it actually matter to what degree somebody is on that spectrum? And my answer to that is it just depends on what model you're looking at, what model you're using. And I think there's two different ways of doing this. I had a call with somebody earlier today who reached out. He was looking for some help. And so he wanted to get some more information about the kind of work that I do with people. And so I shared with him this analogy that I want to share with you. For him, it really resonated. And so I told him that when I was originally trained in working with this challenge, I had a really good friend who struggled with this. And I thought to myself, like, I'm sure I'm going to see this a lot. I was in grad school at the time and I thought, I'm sure I'm going to see this a lot. I should learn how to treat this because I didn't have like I, I didn't struggle personally with an addiction. But because of that conversation that he and I had, I thought, OK, I, I need to dive into this here. 
And the way that I was originally trained was very much in the traditional way of doing this. The idea that this is going to take three to five years. And if you look up anybody, any of the, the bigger, you know, any of the, and if you look up any, I don't know, like people who have been doing this for a long, long time, whether you, you know, Patrick Carnes was one of the like, original people who wrote books back in the maybe 80s and 90s. <clears throat> There's other people who are then kind of trained by him and have the same kind of an approach, which is based in this traditional way of looking at it, which is much more about the idea of giving you tools to help you combat the temptation. And if you look at anybody who has maybe been doing this earlier on, they started earlier in the process. Like for instance, Patrick Carnes is like the the first guy who started writing books about this. So he himself was a somebody who struggled with addiction and he wanted to find a way out. And so he kind of developed his own model and he wrote books, I don't know, back in the 80s and 90s. It was very, very much this idea of getting better at managing triggers, managing stress, and being able to fight off temptation when it came up. And I think the reason why it takes three to five years is because it's very much an outside-in type of an approach. Where, like, I remember, like I was watching a video, uh, I follow a couple of different guys and on like Instagram and stuff, and one of the guys that was talking, he's been doing this for a long, long time. I think his name was like Doug Weiss. I guess I don't follow him, he popped up on my thread. And he's been doing this for a long, long time. And I remember seeing this little clip where he talked about how when you're tempted, you should wear a rubber band on your wrist. And every time a temptation comes up, you should snap the rubber band to just like interrupt that pattern. So you're not, you know, you're not too tempted to look at this person that you're, you know, that's, that's in your, in your, in your surroundings there. And so I think this is, again, it's a very much an old school way of doing it where you're trying to distract yourself, you're avoiding temptation, you're trying to avoid triggers, and when the trigger does come, you're pushing back and resisting and finding tools to combat those temptations when they're there. And so I, as I explained this to him, I thought like the reason why this takes so long is because you're, you're focusing on managing a situation. It's very much symptom management. And it takes a long time to develop the management skills because triggers are so powerful. Again, you talk any guy that I talk to will tell me that when he's not triggered and when he's in a good spot, he doesn't even he doesn't want to go back to pornography. He wants so much to get away from it. He hates the fact that he goes back to it. But in the moment that he's triggered, that's when all of the tools leave his mind. That's when the thought of his wife leaves his mind. The thought of what's going to happen, you know, tomorrow when I have to talk to her, he's not thinking about that at the time because when you're triggered, you're on a different, you're on a different wavelength. Different things are happening in the brain, and so all of the tools that you've been prepping, so many people that goes out the window. And so if you're going to spend a lot of time preparing to combat those triggers when they come up, it takes a long time. And while it's possible for that to do, I, as I was working with people, I just thought there's got to be a different way to do this. And so it, it took me years of, I've gone to so many seminars and trainings and I just love learning and finding better ways to do this. And I learned of a, an approach where it's not symptom management, it's helping people dissolve and diffuse the triggers so they're not continually tempted so they don't feel these urges all the time and so the way that I explained it to this person on the call and over the years I've just been refining and implementing and testing new things and I've got this thing dialed in where 
The key is to help somebody diffuse the trigger. So this is what I was saying to him on the phone. I said, there's a researcher and I said, I don't, maybe you've heard of this guy before. His name's Ivan Pavlov. He's a Russian psychologist. And I think he was back in the seventies. He did this experiment with a handful of dogs. So they call him Pavlov's dogs. And so maybe some of you who have heard this, for those of you who don't know who this is, this person wasn't quite sure that I was talking to. So just a very short version. He wanted to see if he could train the dogs to physically respond to a cue or a trigger that was totally separate than what he wanted to have happen in the body of the dog. So he'd take the bell, he'd ring the bell, which had no, there was no, nothing attached to that at that point. He just rang the bell. And then at the time of the bell, he gave the dog food. And then he would ring the bell again the next day and then give the dog the food. Ring the bell, give the dogs the food. He did this over and over and over again. So he was conditioning the dog to expect and anticipate the food the time that he hears the bell. And so what he found was he eventually started to ring the bell, but there was no food in his hand. But the dog would start to salivate because he had been conditioned to expect what came next. And so this is such a powerful study because it paved the way for this behavioral psychology and this understanding of how our nervous system works. And we have this, you know, we have a nervous system just like a dog does. And our nervous system gets trained just like any other animal through conditioning. So this is the difference. When somebody is approaching it from this traditional way of, of doing this, they anticipate they're going to get triggered and then we want to prepare you and arm you for battle so that you can fight off the trigger. However, what I find is that so many men struggle for literally years and decades because the fight is so hard. It's so difficult to fight against the trigger. So it's the same thing as ringing the bell, the dog starts to salivate and if the dog was human, right, it would be like fighting the urge to eat the food. But in the state of being triggered, it's not sustainable. I had a conversation with a guy who's in my program and early on in the process, he would describe, okay, like I get triggered. This was before he started to work with me. He explained to me, when I get triggered, I try to distract myself. I try to like focus on something else or like go and cook a meal or watch a show or go to bed. But then what I find is that in the morning I wake up and the thought comes right back. And so this is the idea that once you're in that state and you're triggered, it's going to linger. And this is where a lot of guys get discouraged and they think to themselves, well, it's going to be here. I might as well act on this and get it out of the way because I can't focus on anything else. And even if I resist it for a little while, I'm not going to be successful because through their experience, they haven't been able to be successful. So they just, it's this learned sense of, well, you know, I don't know what else to do. So I'll give in, get this out of my way and I'll keep going. So the difference is that when I work with people, my focus is to help them identify what the trigger is and then separate the trigger from the acting out behavior, whether it's pornography or masturbation or texting people or whatever the, you know, to whatever degree somebody acts on that. The, the people that I find most successful in this process are able to identify and not only identify, but resolve or unlink that trigger from the behavior. So what that ends up looking like is, going back to the dog's analogy, it's as if you ring the bell, but your body doesn't respond anymore. The dog doesn't salivate. Those things are now neutral. 
So it doesn't trigger any type of response that he has to combat. And so if we link this to a, a human example of somebody who's struggling with this, it's as if, if stress is a trigger or being alone is a trigger or loneliness or worthlessness or inadequacy or a fight with his wife, whatever the trigger is, when somebody does this deeper level work and they're able to work through, and there's a whole process for this that I walk, walk guys through. And I've shared, so with the podcast, I, 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 try to, I share as much information as I possibly can. It's just not in a system. I just kind of get random ideas about things I want to talk about or stuff that I'm seeing as I work with clients. And so I just kind of, there's no like rhyme or reason to it. So it's nothing's in an organized way. And so in previous episodes, I've detailed how do you identify triggers? What do you do when the triggers happen? And so I, I'm not going to go super deep into that stuff right now. You can go back on previous episodes. I try to title things pretty clearly so people know. But the idea is that once you identify and work through the trigger and resolve it and unlink it, and so often these links are subconscious because subconscious meaning automatic because through conditioning, just like the dog, the dog didn't have a choice that his body responded. It just did through that pattern, through many, many uh, repetitions of it. In the same way that a husband, when a man is struggling, he can't control whether or not his body responds to something. And so the key is to help him work through that and unlink the trigger from that physiological response by, by resolving what's driving it. So if it's loneliness or stress or fear, it's solving those issues in a way that brings closure. That's not to say that you'll never get stressed again or scared again, because you will. But once you do the deeper level work, you can get stressed, but it doesn't then kick you back into this addictive, addictive pattern. It doesn't create this physiological drive of, oh, I just gotta, you know, I'm feeling tempted. I feel this urge. I gotta act on this, but I don't want to. That battle takes place when you're already triggered. And so my biggest goal for people in the early stages of this work is to help them work through the triggers so they don't feel that anymore, so they're not continually tempted. <clears throat> so linking this to the, the, the original conversation, the difference between a slip and a relapse, when I'm working with somebody, I don't actually focus too much on which one is which because if somebody slips, it tells me they've been triggered. And my biggest priority is to help them work through their trigger. It's great if they can catch themselves, of course. Like that's, you can apply tools in those moments. You can still have success there. I think it's significantly and noticeably harder to apply tools in the moment that you're triggered because you're already in that state. And once you're in that triggered state, that's where there's this uphill battle. Can you do it? Yes. Is it much more difficult? Absolutely. So that's why I don't, I don't spend too much time differentiating between slip or relapse because whenever a trigger fires off, it tells me, okay, we've still got some work to do. <clears throat> so let's go back in, identify what, what was driving this, what were the contributing factors, and then more importantly, or maybe just as importantly, because if you don't know what those triggers are, it's, it's impossible to change them. So we need to get clear about what they are. And then just as importantly, we have to have a plan in place to deal with them and resolve them so that you can unlink the trigger from the behavior, from the pornography, from the physical response. It is then at that point, this is completely sustainable. Again, this is the difference in the model, right? It just depends on which model you're looking through. For the traditional model, this is something that needs to be managed for a long, long time. And somebody continues to carry around this identity of addict and they're struggling with addiction for the rest of their life 
that's, I just disagree with that model. I don't think that's the case because people overcome this. They break old habits. They're able to create new ones. And so once you do, you've identified your triggers, you've identified what's driving the slip or the relapse, and you resolve it. Now you're in a totally different place. You have a new way of processing the information so that the next time you're stressed, you don't react in the same way. You have a different way of responding internally instead of getting triggered and having to battle that on top of the stress. And so to summarize that, I don't think it much matters with regard to the healing process, whether it's a slip or a relapse. Does it matter in your relationship? That, that is where it absolutely does matter because the impact that a slip has versus a relapse has is different when it comes to a spouse. If it's a full-on relapse, that's gonna cause a lot more pain especially if there's lying and hiding and covering up. It's going to cause a lot more pain and damage than when a husband catches himself, applies some tools, steps out of it, reevaluates his plan, shares with his wife, and gets back on track. Two totally different experiences in a relationship. And so I wanted to give you a, a specific example of one of the guys that I that was working with in the program. He shared with me, this was probably after our first call together, he was doing great for a week and that was a week was really good for him because he would struggle multiple times in a week so after our our initial deep dive call where we focused on what's his biggest trigger and helped him shift it in the way that we've been discussing to unlink the trigger from the behavior he had a really really good week and then he came back to the next call and said you know i I had another slip and i acted out And I said, okay, well, help me understand. What was driving this? These are the questions that I ask. What was driving it? What was the trigger? And as he explained to me what was happening, he started to talk about how stress was the initial trigger. And when he started to feel this sense of stress, it brought up this fear of failure. And so we have spent some time working through this fear of failure and helping him challenge this negative belief and resolve the link between the stress, the fear of failure, and then the physical response of an urge or a temptation and so the following week he comes back and he's in a he's in a much better place because he approached the situation differently and it wasn't that he didn't get stressed that that following week rather he was able to remember what we talked about and when he felt stressed he had a new way of responding to it so he felt confident that he could deal with the problem and it didn't have anything to do with him that was his biggest thing he personalized it anytime he felt this stress and like, oh no, if I make a mistake or if I don't do a good job at my work, I'm gonna feel like a total failure. One of the biggest things that I like to work on with people is helping them separate themselves and their value, their identity, their worth from their decisions. And so for him, the fear of making a bad decision at work brought up this sense of failure. So by doing that inner work and separating those two things, he didn't feel the temptation like he did you know, a week or two prior because he dealt with it differently. So for everybody who's listening to this, this is my recommendation. It's it's so critical. I, I think, I guess maybe before I offer this recommendation, I want everybody to know that a husband who's struggling with this can 100% resolve this problem because there's nothing wrong with a husband who's been struggling with this for a long, long time. So many men think there's something wrong with them, but that is a direct result of not having the right approach. Because when somebody develops this pattern, 
that develops into a habit and for some people develops even further down that spectrum into addiction, wherever it is on the spectrum, habit or further, it's developed through repetition. Just like the dog who had been the bell, food, salivate, bell, food, salivate, through lots and lots of reps, his nervous system was shaped to respond in that way. Now, that is not an excuse. The, 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 the reality is that the work needs to be done, right? Even if your body responds like that and you, it, you don't have any control over that, and that's where people start out. There's no control over the physical response of the trigger. However, you have 100% control over what you do with regard to the work to resolve that. And a lot of the work will take place outside of those moments. There's tools that you can apply in the moment when you're triggered, of course. But so much of the progress and the growth and the healing happens as people reprocess those triggers by evaluating and reevaluating and understanding and working through, kind of like the guy that I just shared with you, who realized it was stress and a fear of failure. When you work through those things, that's the work. You have control over that. So you can't just say, well, I was triggered and I didn't have control. You 100% have control, and I think it's a matter of recognizing that you truly can overcome this. There's nothing wrong with you. The old way, the traditional way, often makes men feel inadequate because the difficulty is that when you're triggered all the time, it's just not sustainable. You cannot fight triggers forever. And so once you recognize that it's just a matter of conditioning and that you can rewire how you respond, you can rewire habits, you can overcome old habits, I hope that just by hearing that, it creates a sense of optimism and hope that it's possible for you to do. And so if you don't believe me, I totally get that. I, I speak with a lot of guys initially who are like, you know, I hear what you're saying and what you say makes sense and it resonates. I just don't know if I can do it because I haven't had success. And that's where I like to share with them that so often many men haven't had success because they're using the same approach. It's willpower. It's grit. It's discipline. It's thinking about the consequences. All of those things are not long-term sustainable strategies. Rather, changing the approach is and working through the triggers on the deeper inner inner level so that you respond differently to the trigger. So that next time you're faced with a stressful situation, you're just you you respond differently altogether. So my encouragement as you're listening to this is to notice what are the triggers for you? What is it that's driving this? What are the factors that are contributing to this? Is it, an, is it an, an emotional escape? Is it a visual trigger that you don't know how to deal with? Is it deeper level beliefs of unworthiness and inadequacy and failure? Whatever those triggers are, that's where the work begins. And so I want to encourage you to target whatever piece of the work that needs to be done and work through things on that level by getting the right tools and approach. And again, I share with you tons of stuff on the podcast that I hope is helpful. I really want to make this as applicable as possible. And so it's a matter of implementing some of the stuff that we talked about on previous episodes or other things that you feel like could be helpful. Uh, that That's where the work can take place. If you need help doing that, again, there's help available. And that's where I love to just help in any way that I can. And customizing the podcast and the material to your situation for those who are interested, I'd love to help in any way that I can. So in the meantime, this is the direction that I would encourage you to go. This this is how I you know work with clients is focus on the trigger, focus on the tools that resolve the trigger, implement your plan, get feedback, reevaluate your plan, re-implement, get more feedback. It's this recursive type of, uh, it's a recursive type of approach. So now to the question of should he tell his wife? So like I mentioned, 
whether it's a slip or a relapse, in terms of the healing process, the key is either way you're being triggered. So we have to resolve that. To the degree that you act on that trigger, then that, that kind of determines what category to put those in. But either way, so many women that I work with, most women want more info, not less. Now, there are some women that I've worked with who don't want a lot of information. And some women want a ton of information and they want to hear every detail, everything that happened, all of what was watched. What I find is that those types of details don't actually help. What was watched? Certain things that were seen. Uh, like those types of details are not relevant and they're, they're actually harmful. So many women who have asked for that and when the husband shares, this is from my experience as I've worked with people, when the husband says this is what was going on and gives the kind of a detailed account of it, she feels worse afterwards. And so when I talk about saying most women want more information, not less, I think the key thing to share, and this is something that you and your spouse can work out so that you can get a, you can get the kind of share that you're hoping for. So again, some women want less. They just want to hear, hey, I, I had a slip. Hey, I had a relapse. And that's enough. Other people want more information. Some of the information that I do find is helpful is when you share the extent of it. So has did it happen multiple times? What was the situation? Were you home alone? What were the triggers? What was driving this? Um, did this happen for a long time? Did you try to implement any tools? Like that type of stuff can give you, like that kind of transparency can be really helpful. And so it's important to share the, the scope or the extent to which the behavior occurred, but the key to creating safety and moving forward the thing that I've seen to be most helpful is sharing what was driving the slip or the relapse. What was underneath that? What were the contributing factors that led to it? Because if the husband can go back to his wife and say, I, I want to be transparent. I want to have a conversation with you. I had a slip or I had a relapse. This was the situation. This was the extent of it. And the key then is to say, this is what I noticed. This is where the work takes place for the husbands. This is what I learned about what caused it. This was the trigger. This was my self-talk. These were the feelings that I had. It was the fear. It was the overwhelm. It was the sense of failure. It was the hopelessness. It was feeling inadequate. It was, you know, whatever it was, this was the situation. These were all the feelings that it brought up. And this is, you know, it, it went in this type of a way. And after it happened, I reflected on it. I realized that this was the trigger. This is my plan to deal with it. So it's different because that's the key part of the work is not just recommitting and saying, I'll try harder next time. It's saying, this is how I'm going to do that situation differently next time. Once you share those things, that's how you can create safety and trust in the relationship because you're demonstrating that you're engaged in the process. You're demonstrating that you care about the result of this. You're demonstrating that this matters to you and that you're willing to continue to work on this. That's how you can ultimately move forward and include your wife in the process to help her be a part of it with you because so many women feel left out completely. And the husband will do his work. This is more of the traditional way of doing it. Husband does his work. It's like he does his work, she does her work, and at some point you in the future, then you guys come back together. I just find that when a wife is let in all along the way, there's more safety, there's more trust, healing happens faster because transparency is such a, a critical part of this. 
and that when you're included, a wife can see my husband's engaged, he's telling me what he's doing, he's sharing with me his plan, and I see him following through and he's implementing that, that will create safety in, in a tremendously uh, important way. And so I hope as we've talked about this today, you've gotten some ideas about your situation and how you can navigate this because the more you can slow the process down, use any type of a slip or a relapse as feedback to understand the trigger and resolve it on that level, that's ultimately how you're gonna get a sense of freedom from this permanently because when you're not triggered, you're not gonna slip. There is no, I don't know anybody who just makes a decision to uproot all of their progress in a clear level-headed mind. It just doesn't happen. It happens only when we're triggered. So the key, in, in as I've worked with people, uh, in my experience, is helping people resolve the triggers so they're not in that state. And that's ultimately how they can be successful long-term. So I hope this is helpful as you work through this this week, as you're sharing with your wife, including her in the process. And if you're a woman listening to this, having some ideas of how you, can, how you guys can work through this together and what types of things are relevant and important to the process so you guys can be working on this in a way that does bring the results that you're hoping for. Okay, I hope that was helpful. And for any of the men who are listening, I want to invite you to join if you're looking for some extra support and tools and help implementing these uh, tools and strategies so you can fully overcome pornography so that it doesn't have to follow you around anymore. Go ahead and go to uh, www.facebook.com groups slash tools to quit. And the link is going to be here in the show notes as well. So I look forward to watching you guys make progress and really overcome this addiction, get this problem out of your life, restore your relationship, so you can actually move forward and leave all of this behind you in a way that there's actually closure.